Welcome back to another episode of Jake's Takes. My name is Jake, and thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the podcast. Where on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about first the incident that occurred between Draymond Green and Jordan Poole, and if this means that the future with the Warriors for Draymond Green is in question, if um, there is anything that will come from this, and how this potentially got leaked in the first place. Um, So let's go from there. So there was a video leaked by TMZ, which showed uh, aggressively uh, Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole in practice. It seemed like he was pushed by Jordan Poole and then Draymond Green just clocked him. And there is uh, legal course uh, of action being taken place by the Warriors according to ESPN. Um, this is definitely uh, a lot harder than it should have been. And Draymond Green did way too much in this case. Um, there isn't, you know, anything wrong with fighting when it comes to practices like this because it happens and it's not uncommon. But this is the situation that um, took place. Um, and who knows exactly what's going on, but TMZ leaked this to the world on Friday morning. Where they got this, I don't know. Um, I was reading an article from uh, the uh, SF Gate. Um, I think this is uh, some sort of uh, news, Bay Area news, um, SF Gate. Uh, And they were talking about conspiracy theory that this might have gotten leaked by the Warriors themselves because... Uh, They wanted a public divorce. Maybe they didn't want to give him a contract uh, extension. And um, who knows exactly what's going on. Um, They are uh, potentially leaking this. um, And I don't really know how um, anything in terms of uh, getting this information um, came out. So I'm sure the Warriors are going to press TMZ and try and figure out the situation, at least in terms of how they got the information and where the the party in uh, foul is. But um, this is something that is probably going to have internal um, investigations with uh, Draymond Green potentially getting some sort of fine um, or something along those lines. Apparently, Draymond Green apologized for the altercation um, and, uh, it seems like now, um, hopefully they can try and get, um, some sort of, uh, you know, sense of, um, coming back together and potentially, um, actually, you know, being teammates again and not letting this kind of blow over potentially, I don't know. Um, but this is very interesting to say the least, and we don't know, uh, exactly, what this means for Draymond Green uh, at all. Um, There was an article with Yahoo Sports, um, Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole strained any equality he built with the Warriors. Um, And Draymond Green has been one of the bad boys of the NBA with his excessive taunting and his uh, maybe uh, rough at times... uh, approach to defense and maybe taking things too far on the court and off the court and this is just another thing that has come and we don't know what 
um, will be Golden State's response to this um, in terms of um, everything going on. Um, but the Warriors have to now deal with this and they have to um, put out some PR control and try and hush-hush uh, this if they can or at least just get this to go away and try and mend the situation between Draymond and Jordan Poole if they can. Um, but this is a lot of money in a lot of players and Draymond Green needs to set a better example. Draymond Green is one of the big three in Golden State. He has been there since um, their championship run started. And it's very hard to see someone like that, you know, doing these sort of things. Um, and um, uh, always getting away with it because you're just a bigger part of this team. And it's been so important. And, you know, I think Draymond Green has had his own issues, whether it was with Durant or others, um, I think, you know, uh, it's one of those things uh, where um, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and a lot of these people in the organization have always kind of had his back because he's been a very loyal teammate and has gotten them so far to the highest levels. The question now becomes, does that mean it is time to move on from Draymond Green? Like, uh, at one point, is enough enough? Uh, will they try and nip this in the butt and hope that things can work itself out, or will Draymond Green end up having to get moved? Uh, to me, I don't really think he's going to get moved at any point in time. I think this is a tough situation. Do I think they would get rid of Jordan Poole before they got um, rid of um, Draymond? Potentially, in my opinion. Um, but uh, I don't think anyone's going anywhere. I think this happened, and Hopefully they can mend fences and go from there. There is a New York Post article uh, I was reading, uh, NBA stars floating wild theories after Draymond Green punching video surfaces. Um, you know, and um, so there's a lot going on in this article talking about what different players have tweeted and what different players said. Um, and uh, apparently... Um, you know, Bob Myers came out and apologized and said, these things happen, nobody likes it, we don't condone it, but it happens. Draymond apologized to the team. Jordan was there in the room. As far as any sus suspension, punishment, fine. We will handle that internally. So I don't know if they're going to do anything more than just fine. I'm guessing he'll get like $100,000 fine or something and move on. Um, who knows? But uh, I don't think he'll get suspended for that. Um and, uh, yeah, I don't think there's going to be too much um, about it. Uh, Steph Curry addressed this whole situation, calling it BS. Quote, there was a specific tweet that was put out yesterday insinuating that Poole's attitude or something has changed. It's absolutely BS. Andre Iguodala uh, addressed yesterday with his tweet, and we can kind of leave it at that. Poole has been great, and there's nothing that warranted the situation yesterday to make that clear, but it's also something that I feel like will not derail the season and what we are trying to do. Um, it's a situation that could have been avoided, but there's a lot of trust the f in the fabric, uh, and we know uh, those guys to be. Um, so he um, ended up um, talking about that. Andre Iguodala's tweet, What we not gonna do is talk crazy about my young fella JP. Great character kid. Misses me with all that other BS straight from the source. 
Um, so, yeah. Uh, in a separate tweet, Iguodala wrote, and it's family business with my bro, Money Green, Draymond Green, too. So, I think the players just know these um, interactions take place, and everybody, I'm guessing, has uh, mended fences or trying to mend fences when they can. And um, I think uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, we'll have to see what happens uh, moving forward. So I think um, at this point, you know, we have to uh, wait and see. Now I want to talk about something else that came from the horse's mouth um, involving uh, Adam Silva, Victor Wembyemba, who is the projected number one overall pick next year. So I want to talk about this. Um, so Adam Silva hopes teams don't tank for Wemba Yemba. Um, so Victor Wemba Yemba is very good um, with G League Ignite. He scored 72, 73 points and 15 rebounds over two games, um, a two-game span. This came, article came out today um, and uh, has been very good. And a generational talent is what a lot of people are saying. Um, and, uh, Adam Silva, uh, made these comments. Uh, I know that many of our NBA teams are salivating at the notion of that potentially through our lottery, they can get him. So they should still all compete very hard next season. So here's the situation. And this is something that I want to talk about, not in terms of Victor per se, but in terms of just tanking in general. So, I never really felt like the NBA, at least in you know my earlier years of watching it, was ever something where tanking was sort of a thing. I think most teams planned to go and win a championship, try to make the playoffs, and some teams just didn't do as well. And at the end of the season, some teams would kind of lose games, but there was never this focus that they were going to tank. Like, there was never this, like, we're going to go into the season with the sole purpose to tank like that's something that eventually kind of came up and I think trust the process with Philadelphia was one of those starting points there um and like before it I don't really think that was a thing where teams would tank to start the season or really go through the season with this mindset of trying to get the first overall pick but in terms of obviously certain factors during the season changes how your projections are and teams can change if they want to go all in or take a step back, um, and, you know, who really knows, right? You have Orlando, Houston, OKC, um, now you have Utah, you have a bunch of teams out there that are going to be trying to tank in order to get a chance at the top pick, Victor Wembayemba. So the three worst teams have a 14% chance to get the top pick, and the odds drop uh, from there. Fourth is 12.5, fifth is 10.5, and it keeps going down. But that does not mean that in terms of um, the draft lottery, um, it doesn't always mean that that's how it's going to end up. So if you look at um, all of these drafts that have taken place um, in terms of the uh, last few years um, or so, um, if you look at... Um, sort of the, the draft lottery and how it ended up in terms of placement, and more so the odds. We'll look at 2022 for a second. Uh, 2022 was uh, Orlando, OKC, Houston, Sacramento, Detroit. 
Orlando moved from one or from number two to number one. Uh, OKC moved up from number four to number two. Houston had the tied for first odds, worst record, uh, down from number one to number three. Sacramento got the fourth pick. They were moving up from number seven. Detroit moved down from number three to number five. And down the line, down the line, down the line. So um, the probability going into it, 14% for Houston, Orlando, Detroit. So technically, Orlando had just as good odds as Houston. Um, and then Indiana, Portland, and down the line, it seemed like that stayed the same as it did. Um, and in terms of, um, you know, uh, the odds um, and everything, um, you know, it was a little bit off. Now, if you go to 2021 and you look at the odds on 2021, which was the Kid Cunningham draft, if you want to go down that road and see what those odds were in terms of uh, the odds uh, going into it. Um, it was maybe a little bit uh, different. Um, the Rockets had the best chance. Pistons in Orlando. And obviously, um, the Pistons got the number one overall pick, which was, um, which was pretty good um, in the end of the day. And then if you go to the actual... Uh, you know, draft itself, um, you know, and who was actually picked in the order, just kind of based on um, the draft picks and everything. Um, it's a different story because we got Detroit, Houston, and then Cleveland. And uh, Detroit had top odds. Houston had top odds. Cleveland had 11.5% chance. So, they were kind of tied in that 4-5 range. Um, and then after Cleveland um, was Toronto. And if you're looking at the draft lottery in that scenario, the Raptors were slightly down uh, in the 7 range. Um, and so that was the situation there. Um, and if you go to some of these other drafts uh, years, uh, and then you look at the odds of uh, everything, and the 2020 uh, draft, we'll just take a look at, at that one also um, in terms of odds. Uh, Anthony Edwards was the number one overall pick. And in, you know, looking at how things were um, with the odds and everything, the Warriors had a 14% chance, the Cavaliers and the Timberwolves all had a 14% chance to get the top dog in this draft. And so it went Minnesota, Golden State, and the Charlotte Hornets, and the Charlotte Hornets were, if you go all the way down, um, they were eight, so they had the eighth best odds at 6%, and they ended up snagging that all-coveted LaMelo Ball with the third pick. Chicago had the fourth pick, which Chicago's odds were, um, at that point, uh, six, seven, so they were seven. So 7 and 8 both popped up a little bit in the draft. Um, and then if you want to look even more so, and we can go even further down the line, we have the 2019 NBA draft, which um, the odds on that one uh, were also, uh, I think, a little uh, crazy because the Pelicans got the top pick and they ended up snagging Zion, which was obviously great for them. But... In terms of the odds, it was totally different because we had New York, Cleveland, Phoenix, 
Chicago, Atlanta, Washington, and New Orleans sitting right down there. I believe they were the number seven on the board. Um, yeah, they were seven. And Memphis was eight. And in that draft, the top two picks, Memphis, New Orleans. New Orleans was number one. Memphis was number two. And they had in tow um, seven, eight nods, and they made their way all the way up. Then we had the New York Knicks, which were where they were expected to be. And then we had um, the fourth overall pick, which this one was the craziest one of all, was the Lakers pick was basically near the bottom. I think they were um, 11. So they were the 11th best odds. They were 2% chance of getting a top pick. And they got the fourth pick, which is crazy. So they did make this a little bit different with their system in terms of how they could actually get the first pick because 14% for the top three, kind of not a bad uh, move. Um, but I do think there is this in the NBA, this sort of um, tanking, which has become popular because if a team already going into the season knows they're not going to compete for a championship, they're just going to shit the bed to start. Like Houston has no motivation to run and make a championship run because their team is not good enough. And even if they do make it, you know, I think the way it was before was tough because at times, like, teams would go out there and just try and make a playoff push, and then they would end up in that sort of lottery, low lottery, 14, 13, 12, 11, where it's very hard for them to move up in the lottery and get a top pick. And so it was one of those things where at the time it was more of a uh, let's just try and win and try and make the playoffs where now it's like, well, if I don't think I have a shot, then there's really no point in me actually trying it in the first place. So I think, you know, it's hard for tanking to stop because teams just want to get the best pick if they can't do anything at all. And I think the league itself doesn't like it. Um, you know, they think that a fan base, you know, shouldn't be actively rooting against the whole, um, you know, team and they should be not rooting for the team to lose, but rooting for them to win. Uh, this is an article from NBA sports.com that has been talking about all of this. Um, and, uh, who, who knows, right? And Victor Wambayemba, we don't know what he's going to be, but he looks great so far in the G League at night. If he comes to a team, that's going to be a big seller. People are going to want to see that. And so it's obviously something they want to go for, you know, tanking. And so obviously there are situations where tanking makes sense. But a lot of teams do it with the season even starting. You know, Damian Lillard got hurt last year. And so they switched their trajectory, ended up tanking, and they got shady on sharp. You know, there were teams in rebuild mode, and there are teams like Utah Jazz, who flipped the script and now are rebuilding when they were a playoff team last year, traded away Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. So at the end of the day, just in my own opinion on the situation, tanking, obviously, I think, in a sense, is bad for the league because it forces teams to try and lose, and they should be trying to win every single game. And so it's one of those things where I don't like tanking because I think it just ruins what sports is because you don't really see tanking too much in a lot of other sports like baseball maybe a little bit but not really it's not as talked about I mean football potentially 
at the end of the season, but nobody in football goes into it firsthand. Like, eh, I'm not going to do so hot, let's tank, right? Like, if you look at the Patriots right now, they're 1-3, and three, and so let's say they lose again and keep losing. Like, they could switch their trajectory and be like, yeah, we're going to tank, but at the moment, they're not really, like, focused on tanking. They're focused on winning every single game to try and get in the playoffs. And so I think the mindset in most sports is different, where you don't want to tank because you don't really get much out of that. Um, obviously you can get the top pick, but you're more focused on winning. And when it comes to tanking in the NBA, it's become more of a common thing. And like I said before, it's kind of started with the Philadelphia 76ers and their sort of, um, you know, tanking, trust the process. And they hit on some of their guys. They didn't hit on all of them, but trust the process in a sense kind of worked because they have James Harden now and Joel Embiid and, Tyrese Maxey and some of these guys. Granted, Maxey and uh, Thibold and Shake Milton, you know, they weren't top draft choices. I mean, Thibold and Maxey were both drafted in the 20s. Um, but, um, you know, I think uh, they started off this tanking movement where now teams who have no future are going to start tanking to get the best player, right? OKC lost Chet Holgram. So now, like, we already know they're going to go full tank mode to hope they can get Victor Wambiemba or that guy... I think it's Scooty Henderson or Scooter Henderson, the guy who's the second best prospect. So it's a change in what's going on um, because even if they had Chet Holgram, they were still going to tank. So it's got to be something that they change eventually. Um, I don't really know how you can do that, but uh, I think tanking in itself is just wrong and you should be going out there every single night trying to be the best that you can be and try and get the best... Uh, in terms of basketball and that's just my own two cents on it obviously in certain situations um, teams might uh, lose games on purpose but in terms of the whole situation um, I think uh, not really a big fan of um, not really a big fan of uh, any of the uh, tanking in my opinion so the final thing I want to talk about is something I just saw involving LeBron James and Vegas. So apparently LeBron James went and talked to the NBA commissioner or tweeted to the NBA commissioner that he wants a team in Vegas. He wants to bring a team to Sin City. And that is something that it seems like he is interested in. He wants to own it. I would love to bring a team here at some point. That would be amazing. I know Adam is in Abu Dhabi right now. I believe he probably sees every single interview and transcript that comes through from NBA players. So I want the team here, Adam. Thank you. Now, this is very interesting for a few reasons. Number one, LeBron James is the biggest of biggest when it comes to the uh, you know world of basketball. And what's also very very interesting about this whole situation is he wants a team in Las Vegas which he said before but he is part owner of the Fenway Sports Group which is Liverpool FC Boston Red Sox Pittsburgh Penguins and it seems like John Henry who is the owner of the Red Sox and I think he's the majority owner of this Fenway Sports Group is potentially um, in the market to go out there and spearhead a effort to bring a team to Vegas and LeBron James is part owner 
small owner, but if you get him on board and you have him as the face of it and you, you know, get this going and bring Fenway Sports Group in, like, I personally, as a Red Sox fan, would just love John Henry to go, like, a million miles away from Boston, and I would love to get a Boston-based or someone who's a New England-based person to take over and be the owner of the team, because I think what Wick Grusbeck has done for the Celtics, he's got passion. John Henry has none of that, so take your talents to another stratosphere that's not the Red Sox, and I think you should consider getting in on this with LeBron, because you are part owners together with this Fenway Sports Group. Um, so this could be something, if LeBron James is in talks with the commissioner, and then he could also say, hey, I'm going to play in Vegas, you know, that could sell. And so if you get his ownership group on board and get LeBron on board, then there's a, a big chance this could take place. Um, LeBron has been investing in so much. He invested in a major league pickleball, which is interesting because I don't really know too much about pickleball. But in terms of Vegas, this has been thrown out there. There have been talks of expansion in the NBA and two of those teams, Seattle Supersonics, because everybody loves the nostalgia and wants to bring them back, and then Vegas. So those are the two locations that have been thrown out there. Obviously, who's going to buy the team? I don't know. But if Fenway Sports Group and LeBron James is part of that, wants to get in on it, you got an angle, LeBron goes and talks to Adam Silva, they meet, something goes down. Now obviously if you're a Lakers fan, this is not good, because that means LeBron would probably end up playing there, and he would pull like the ultimate Jackie Moon from Semi-Pro, where he's playing, and probably coaching a little bit, and owning, and all that stuff, so um, I could see Vegas as a spot, you know, they brought the Raiders, they have the Golden Knights. Like, I don't know if basketball um, could uh, 100% work in Vegas. I think it's a lot better than baseball. I don't think baseball would even be a good idea just because it's so hot and baseball is, for the most part, outside unless you get, like, a dome. But hockey's there and football, and I think basketball could end up there, and it wouldn't be a bad situation if LeBron wants to take his talents uh, to Vegas. And they also have... The Vegas Aces, who I believe just won a um, a women's basketball uh, title, the uh, WNBA title, with uh, Becky Hammond as head coach. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely somewhere that uh, could actually be a spot um, in all of this. Um, the coach, Darvin Ham of the Lakers, has said that on Vegas... It's a no-brainer down the road. I don't want to speak for the NBA or the commissioner, but I think at some point you'll see a permanent NBA team calling Las Vegas home. So it doesn't seem like it's just LeBron, but um, at the end of the day, I do think there is the chance that we end up getting a team in Vegas, and LeBron seems like he's going to be the one spearheading this and potentially getting an ownership spot or playing there or both. Who knows, but... There's a chance this could take place in the near future.